Do you know what I'm passionate about, Jeff? What's that? I'm passionate about mobile data. And what a f***ing mess it is. <laughs> Welcome to Fraculous, a technology podcast for humans. Episode 326. Sad, broken gadget tales, iPlayer TV license, and oh my god, is there any more to say on roaming data? Seriously. That's not going in, but that's something like my size baby. So I'm now rolling on three things here. I'm going to do a sync clap. Nice glasses, Jeff. We could do a hilarious opening shot where I'm wearing my new prescription sunglasses as an opening shot, and then I then... What if I took my sunglasses on and off like every 10 minutes? Would that totally break the continuity? It would make things very, very difficult for me, Jeff. (laughs) Would that make editing very hard, Will? (laughs) Will, you have been complimented on the editing of this podcast. I saw something on Twitter a couple of days ago, someone going, wow, how on earth do you do that? And it is ambitious. I do take my hat off to you as to how you stick all of this together. I mean, I know how editing works, obviously, but it's a gargantuan effort to do it. It is. It's it's bigger than I thought, (laughs) if I'm being honest. I saw somebody say hurrah at last, a a UK tech podcast that doesn't suck. I know, that was good. We've had some good feedback. You should put that on, you know, if we were were having posters, like they do in the Edinburgh Festival, we have like a star rating, that's the quote (laughs) in our flyer, a UK tech podcast that doesn't doesn't suck. suck. Ta-da! It always worries me when you judge or when you comment on how good something is by using a negative word. So yeah, it doesn't suck, you know? Yeah, it's not bad. Come on, let's, let's use some positivity. Anyway, I'm rolling, and I've, only got and I've only got 117 minutes of battery left, so anything you, have to, anything you have to say, say it in the next two hours. Go. Do we have any feedback? I mean, obviously Twitter has been a great source of conversation and feedback over the last couple of weeks or so. Is anyone leaving us anything on iTunes at all? We don't have any iTunes reviews, as far as I know. iTunes reviews are good. They help people find the podcast, so... If anyone would like to jump onto iTunes, leave us a review. That would be much appreciated. Obviously, something honest and, as David said, positive would go down well. It strikes me I've heard that pretty much that same sentence in a million and one podcasts over the last 10 years or have long I've been listening to them. But this is the thing. You've seen the stats, David and Jeff, that we are predominantly iTunes. There's some YouTube traffic and there was a spike in YouTube traffic, but it is it is all about the iTunes. And so... Leaving reviews, sharing the show, getting people on iTunes helps us and helps other people find the show. And we haven't recorded a proper trailer yet and put it on my channel. But speaking of your channel, Jeff, you've launched a vlog, as you were calling it, or a vlog, as everybody <laughs> calls it. Is it a vlog or is it a vlog? It's a vlog. Just like it's not a vlog. I've got a new man crush. Do you want to know who my new man crush is? Who is it? My new man crush is on Casey Neinstadt. He did the iPhone video. Do you remember this? The Your iPhone battery doesn't last. I think that, that was, was him. That was pre-YouTube days. That was pre-YouTube. Yeah, that YouTube, was him from long many years ago. ago. I'm sorry. You're going to have to fill me in. I don't know who this is. So long, long, long time ago, there was a... Like one of the first viral videos was about iPod batteries being non-replaceable. Was that what it was, Jeff? It was. But what was amazing about it is that it had like a million hits in the days before YouTube. And it was emailed around. That was the thing. It was fed by email. Remember email? It went viral by email. Yeah, yeah. It was, and it just linked you to a page which, which had a QuickTime moot dot, you know, dot mov in. And you even had to install... If you're on Windows, you had to install, you know, Shockwave. Or RealPlayer. And it was him uh, spray painting over iPod posters in New York saying, yeah. 
the iPod battery sucks. It, it, it fails after nine months. And he, he had a, a phone call of him with the Apple support team, with the guy from Apple support basically saying, well, you might, you know, for the cost that it takes to replace the battery, you might as well just replace, buy, go out and buy a new iPod. And then by yeah. coincidence, two months later, Apple announced their first ever battery replacement program for iPods. So it's generally uh-huh. accepted that he kick-started that and, ma- and made that happen. And then recently somebody sent me one of his videos where he happened to be filming himself on his bike one day and he got a ticket in New York. Is he the one who also runs into things? Yeah, from a policeman for not riding in the bike lane. This is true. He's like, what? You're giving me a ticket, like a 50 ticket. Oh, that's, that, one is, that one is brilliant. <laughs> and so he then made a video where he deliberately stayed in the bike lane, whether there were like garbage cans or whatever the obstruction was. And it ended with him just riding his bike deliberately into a police car, which is parked in the bike lane. And it is very funny. He's very good at the viral. He knows, he's, got, he's definitely got an angle on it. Basically, the guy's an insane workaholic. He gets up in the morning, he does, and he does stuff, and he, but he vlogs his entire day. Or does he vlog it, Jeff? Is it a vlog or a vlog? Every day, he must spend two or three hours in the evening, every day. Anyway. I've kind of happened across some of his, I think his Apple Watch stuff, he was very big early on Apple Watch. And they're brilliant. And I think, have you seen Catfish? I have not. Do you know about Catfish? No. You'd love Catfish. I won't tell you the spoilers. It's all about Facebook and how people present themselves online. And it's a documentary. But I think, from memory, that Casey Neistat is in that too. I'm already working my way back a year's worth of Casey Neistat vlogs. I can't... Well, Catfish is just a documentary. It's just a documentary. Oh, okay, so fine. you can just you can skip into that. He may not be in it, but I, I think from memory he's in it. Okay. Anyway, it's brilliant. I've got a little man crush and he's got like four million views. Is this bigger than Tom Scott, man crush? Bigger, <laughs> bigger than my man crush on Tom Scott. Tom Scott will never see this, so yes, bigger than my man crush on Tom Scott. Anyway, last week I was at, we could talk about this, I was at the new YouTube Space Studios in London, St Pancras King's Cross, which they've opened. Yes, that was on my list, Jeff. Because here's... I've I've got problems with you, Jeff. Okay, but I got a press invite to go. I got a press invite to go down and have a look. But basically, to use the facilities of YouTube now, it used to be that you had to have a minimum of five thousand subscribers on your channel, and I had about seven thousand. And I went, "Oh, can I apply?" And they went, "You could," but we've now bumped up the minimum level to ten thousand subscribers. So part of me now wants to keep. So I need to keep making more videos until I get ten thousand subscribers. Because you were allowed to cover it as press, but not allowed to use it because you don't have enough subscribers. Yeah. Well, uh, well, no. In my other in my other day job uh, for working for the Londoners Channel, we have forty thousand subscribers, so I can use it um, for videos for, for their channel. And you put on at least twenty five to thirty of those, didn't you? Since you started doing your tube videos. Yes. <laughs> Are you teasing me? I don't know. I don't know. I know it's been hugely successful. My mate Pete, who was at the party you came to, when Londoners Jeff is going to be there. He's much funnier than you lot. <laughs> he was like... Good. Brilliant. He was, he was up for meeting Londonist Jeff. So, you know, you've got a bit of a brand going on there, Jeff. Anyway, skipping back. Yeah, skipping back. So just to explain, I'm in France at the moment. Bonjour. Comment allez-vous? Ça va? Oui. Très bien. Je voudrais une tasse de thé, s'il vous plaît, monsieur. Oui. Bien. Oui. <laughs> yeah. I've been using my best GCSE <laughs> French to order beer and... Noi Pratt. What, what's French for podcast? Cast, cast a pod. I think it's just the podcast. So, Jeff, I'm in France at the moment. Bonjour. I have limited data connectivity. I watched your first Periscope yes. when you were outside, 
And then I couldn't get on for the second one. So I thought, oh, I'll go back later and I'll, I'll watch the replay. Replay not available. Why were you not... Why did you block the replay? Something very strange happened. When I was on 4G data, data outside, it streamed fine. When I was inside, connected to YouTube's Wi-Fi, even though it's like 100 meg up or something crazy, lots of people got in touch to tell me that they couldn't connect. Something strange happened to Periscope. Even stranger, the other day, with the launch of Nighttube here in London, with Nighttubes running at night, I was at, I was at Brixton Tube Station, there was a Nighttube map up, and Nighttube, there was Nighttube things going on, and I did a Periscope, and normally within a few seconds you get a couple of people joining. After like 30 seconds, I had zero people on my Periscope, and I was like, this, this is weird. And you thought, is this just duff content? Does no one care? I went ahead and did the Periscope anyway, and afterwards I had people tweeting me saying, we couldn't comment but we could see that there were 34 people connected and it said connection error. So I've had a couple of bad experiences with Periscope recently. So do you think that's back-end problems or connectivity problems? I don't know. I know that for my job, for Londonist, we had an editorial decision not to use Periscope and we're now using, wait for it, we're using Facebook Live. So we are now doing Facebook Live videos. Guess what's coming in, which should probably be arriving in the UK this week. What? My Mevo cam. Your new what? My Mevo cam. It's a new camera by Livestream.com. It's a 4K camera, but from that it cuts out like four or five different views, which you then flip between on your iPhone. So you've got multicam from a single camera unit, and it will stream to Facebook Live as well as Livestream. Wow. From the camera? From the camera. One camera, one connection, multicam all in one. I mean, it could be gash. It could just not work at all. But on the face of it, it looks amazing. Do you think Facebook paid them money to do that, to develop it? Do you think Facebook went to them, went here? Well, no, Livestream developed it for their own service to try and promote that, clearly, because it doesn't work with other streaming services, I don't think. Just, they've just so won. It's scary how they've taken over and won. They've yeah. just, they, they've, they're literally, they've dominated the whole globe. I know someone who is doing the live services for a major BBC programme, like Saturday Night Level, and they did the after show on both Periscope and Facebook Live. And I think they had that in the region of like 35,000 on... No, about 3,500 on Periscope and like 350,000 on Facebook Live. Like it was wow. an order... But I think Facebook promotes it. That's the thing. If they know a big event's coming up, They'll just slam it in everyone's feed. If you've yeah. even like slightly yeah. had any interest or spoken to anybody who watches that show, they'll just spam your feed with that when the yeah. live stream's on. Ping, 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 notification. What does this mean for you and Facebook, though, Jeff? Uh, I have a secret Facebook account, which I, well, no, I have. A, <laughs> I knew I, you had one. I knew you had a secret one. No, I have for my app, which I do, and also you can. There's an app called Pay. Facebook pages. I have, the, I have the pages manager app on my phone. So, so you, could, you could Londoners. help manage the Facebook page for Fraculous as well, is what you're saying, Jeff. I could help manage the Facebook page for Fraculous. <laughs> I'm not going to because you ain't paying me diddly squat. <laughs> Wait, we've got sponsors now. Uh, that's exciting. I'm excited. We are, after all, a UK tech podcast. That doesn't, that doesn't suck. suck. <laughs> well, so, so to summarise, uh, vlogs, yes. Subscribe to Jeff, yes. YouTube space, cool. Moving on. This episode of Fraculous is brought to you by Audible.com, the premier provider of audiobooks with over 180,000 titles to choose from. Maybe you have an especially long road trip coming up. Perhaps you're driving all the way across an entire country. 
You may even have small people in the car that need entertaining. A game of I Spy is only going to get you so far. It's in situations like this that I find Audible invaluable. For our trip across France and back, we kept everyone entertained with the audiobooks of How to Train Your Dragon. Before the 2010 film, which only lasts 98 minutes by the way, this was a series of books by Cressida Cowell. The book is narrated by David Tennant. He used to be Doctor Who, and if anyone can do accents, he's actually Scottish, he can. He gives each character in the book a unique voice and it really helps expand the story. And the best part is there are 12 books in the series available on Audible, and some of them are up to 7 hours long. So no matter how far you're driving, you can keep everyone in the car happy and, more importantly, quiet. To start your free trial of Audible, which includes a free audiobook download, go to fraculous.com audible so that they know that we sent you and to show your support for the show. We had some interesting follow-up about the Apple Watch. So I pulled out a quote of you, David, saying, I'm just looking forward to an Apple mm. Watch that works. And that leads us neatly into your Apple Watch. Oh, what mate. Happened? What <laughs> happened to your Apple Watch, David? <clears throat> oh, How much lighter is your wallet, David? It's cost me a fortune. Let's skip to the beginning. Skip to the beginning. Well, the beginning is last year when the Apple Watch came out. Well, let's, let's skip back to when you went on holiday. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but this, is, this is where it begins. So I got my Pebble Watch two or three years ago now, probably. And um, then I spent a weekend with you working, I hasten to add, in the north of England. And I'm like, yeah, all right. I'm going to have to get one of these Apple Watches. No, it was, it was Taiwan. That's where you really got the... Was it Taiwan? Oh, no, but you had it in Newcastle as well when we were up there. I got it in Newcastle, but it was it was the Taiwan trip where you were really coveted the watch. <laughs> I, I, of course I wanted it. it. It's a toy. I just could didn't think I could justify the cost. So I got my Apple Watch just after... No, just before... Apple Pay went live, and I maintained all along that Apple Pay is a great thing. This is probably the killer app for the Apple Watch. I went on holiday this time last year, and uh, I thought, oh, I don't really want to take my watch off to go swimming. So I had a look around online. I think you and I had a chat about this as well, Will. And I saw people going swimming, doing lengths of swimming pools quite happily, and their Apple Watch still working. There was a bit of an audio issue, but generally speaking, it carried on working. So I went swimming, I did all the stuff that you do when you're on holiday at the beach, wearing my watch, and um, it was absolutely fine. So I'm like, okay, like the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus with its tacit sense of um, water resistance. I mean, I've not really tested mine out. Well, I'd, I'd probably keep it that way if I were you. <laughs> I thought, yeah, my Apple Watch is uh, is water resistant as much as I'm going to use it. Fast forward, um, well, I went on holiday earlier this year. Again, wearing my watch, absolutely fine. Go on holiday a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm not even in the sea. I'm in a swimming pool. I'm, I'm at a swimming pool at my hotel. Didn't even do all that much swimming because I was a bit lazy. And my watch stopped working. And by stop working, the touchscreen stopped working. And it was as though it was registering random presses around the screen. Phantom presses. I took it off straight away, <laughs> wrapped it in a towel. Bag of rice. Didn't have a bag of rice to hand <laughs> Always me. have a bag of rice with you. Good tip. Always carry a bag of rice with you. And then waited a day or so. And I turned it back on again a day or so later. And uh, it was fine for the first 30 seconds and then started to behave erratically again. And this continued, and I'm thinking, right, there's some fairly serious damage that's been done here. Were you seeing any spots on the screen? Because that's a usual sign of water damage, is black spots. The black spot on the screen didn't start straight away. I could double-press my button, and I still had Apple Pay. So I'm like, okay, yeah, you know what, I've still got some utility from this. 
It's in there. It's still alive. Maybe I could hang on just in case Apple Watch 2 gets announced in the September Apple announcement. And then the black spot started and it grew and it grew and it grew. And I'm like, okay, have to admit defeat here. This is now no longer usable because it didn't do, for me, its secondary function, which is now to tell the time. Fairly major function of a watch. Because I couldn't see the screen. I couldn't interact with the screen. And double tapping it while it still worked, it's just not really useful anymore. So as soon as I got back from holiday... I went to the Apple store and, you know, I said, well, look, here's the thing. I've kind of got it a little bit wet, but I don't think it was that wet. I think it's more the temperature. Yeah, they didn't buy it. And they did send it off and it took a week for it to get sorted out. They don't tend to have Apple Watch technicians in the same way that they have, you know, MacBook and uh, iPhone technicians in the back. I guess it's harder to get into as well. It's all kind of glued together. I haven't seen an iFixit teardown of one of these Apple Watches before. Anyway, to cut a long story short, the lady sent it off and said, well, look, it might well be a warranty issue here. No, it's it's out of warranty. It might well be a Consumer Protection Act, whatever, Consumer Rights Act um, issue, but we think it might be water damage. Rightly so, a week later, came back. Hundred and it's about 170 or 190 pounds, including VAT. You might as well buy a new watch for that price. That's still less than a new one, which is what about 330. It's certainly substantially less. You don't get the strap. You get a much smaller box with just the watch in it. What you need is Casey Neinstadt to make a video for you about <laughs> how, how expensive the yes, watch replacement that, program is. <laughs> that could work. Mine's still still hanging in there. I I haven't been swimming with mine. I've not treated it as something you should actively submerge in water but i have Mm. i've been camping in the rain and i've been quite thankful of the fact that i can stick my iphone in the glove box of the car still get my notifications but not have to worry about until now water damage to the watch itself and i have i do wash it when i go running i'll give it a wash afterwards which is on the apple page it does say there's some advice if the digital crown sticks to run it under yep. a tap. So there is some level of water protection there. But I guess eventually the seals do go. And that's the problem. And I guess that was the difference because this time last year I was wearing it, you know, very happily, swimming every day in the sea, you know, and it was fine. Same again early this year. But I guess it's now over. What do you know? The one year warranty is gone. As soon as that ticks over then um, things like this start to happen. Although someone posted something recently about if Apple is so intent on obsolescence, built-in obsolescence, it's really bad, isn't mm. it? And it showed the graph of devices still in use, and it just went... So, yeah. Your iPhone also had an accident recently. Oh, mate. Like you've no, literally what? picked what the happened? worst time ever to break two <sighs> Apple devices. I, I dropped it. Um, it. I've got an iPhone 6 Plus, so not the latest gen. And I tell you what, that phone's taken some real stick over the years. I've dropped it all over the shop onto hard surfaces from great heights, quite spectacularly. This time it was down pretty much by my thigh. I was using maps. I was trying to get to a, a gig I was going to and it dropped, but it just dropped on the corner, just that one spot where it causes the maximum damage. See, see, David, this this is why you need an iPhone 6 with the smart Apple battery case because the smart, the greatest thing dun, about dun, the smart dun. Apple battery case Wrap is around. that it really protects your phone when you drop it. <laughs> it's like this extra, like, cushion. <laughs> Ironically, I had the Apple case. Yeah, but it's the bottom is exposed. 
if it was a spectacular drop, I could have coped with that. But it was a really lame drop that finally did for the phone. So, you know, I soldered on for the rest of the day and cut shreds out of my fingers, swiping and whatever else. And then kind of called it a day. And, um, yeah, £99 for a new one. Thank you very much. Ouch. The house we're staying in here has, like most of Spain and su- southern France, very hard tile floors. In the bedrooms, oh, yeah. in the hallways, in the living room, basically everything is iPhone smashable. It's terrible. So I've been very grateful to my smart battery case. But because what I find is useful about the smart battery case is if you're traveling and you don't have a USB socket by your bed, what you can do is you can almost like defer your charging. So you can charge up your case separately in the evening when it's when the case is empty take the phone out stick the phone on charge put it back in the case it will easily last the night take it out again in the morning when it's still on 100 charge the case and you're back up well it's like it's like every podcast we do we think of a new reason as to why we love the apple smart case more it's yet yet another good reason we've made someone buy one did you see that jeff <laughs> so mike whitcomb hi mike how you doing buddy at M Whitcomb on Twitter said, you know, thanks oh, no, for the yeah, yeah. enthusiastic review of the smart case. I've gone and bought one. We are changing lives here, Jeff. That is the power that this podcast has, people. So I've had to, while I'm here, to avoid... When I've got a naked phone, to avoid that smashing, I've actually got a separate case, which has got padding. It's got 3D mesh protection. And it goes in here over a soft surface or a cushion while I swap it over. So it's always in a case at any one point. So I went and bought a new case for my iPhone 6 Plus. Now, remember, your Apple smart battery case, that only works with the iPhone 6 and 6S. It doesn't work with the plus-size phone. You got a Mophie. You got a Mophie. Mophie, Mophie, Mophie. Damn right I did, Jeff, and it's bloody good as well. So much so that Mike was even doubting his decision to get an Apple smart battery case when I described some of its cool functionality. Because of my limited connect- connectivity, I don't know what you've got, David. So talk me through. You said it's got wireless power. Does it have a battery as well? Show us your MOF, David. It is a, a Mophie Charge Force wireless power case. Wow, that's a mouthful. I would show you, but it's currently... Filming you. ...on the phone that I'm using to record this. <laughs> Brilliant. Well done. What Mophie does very well... Were they one of the first or the first with this battery case idea? Yeah, they've been at it for an awfully long time, and I've had Mophie cases since iPhone 4. I had one for a 4. Yeah, now I got one off from your recommendation. I got one. I had one with my iPhone 5 that also had 64 gigs worth of storage built into the case. And then the current generation, they're one of the few uh, case manufacturers that provides a case battery for the iPhone 6 Plus... And yet it does add a bit of extra, you know, bulk to it. But it's already a big phone. Have you weighed it? Is it more than 245 grams with both cases, battery and phone? Oh, I I haven't weighed it. I, I need the numbers. The I need the numbers, David. I, I don't have the numbers for you. I've got the facts instead of, of day-to-day use of it. And it is very good. In the same way, you know, you describe your your Apple smart battery cases giving you confidence to get all the way through the day. I've kind of got that with this case here. Yes, it's not smart in the same way that it talks to the phone. Well, it can't. I guess that's the thing. Apple won't let that happen, or currently won't let it happen. But one of the good things that it does do is have wireless charging. Now, I've been a, 
I guess on the one hand, a sceptic about wireless charging for years because it's never quite worked. And when I have had a phone on test that, you know, does wireless charging, it comes with a massive charging brick. It's not really wireless, though. It's just plugless. Like, while true wireless charging would be... It charges when it's in your pocket, when it's just in the right room, when it's within vicinity, whereas this is just plugless charging. You're still having to put it down. So there are no wires involved when I charge it, so it's kind of wireless charging as far as I'm concerned. Well, there's a wire going into your pad. There is a wire going into the pad, that's true. Like, it has to be in a specific place next to where your charger would normally be. Sure, absolutely. Now, I've bought a couple of extra wireless charging pads. The one that comes with the Mophie is actually magnetic. Where do they get that idea? Magnetic wireless charging. So it attaches to the phone and it clamps the phone in the right place. And when I've had wireless chargers in the past, you put the phone on the pad... And it slips straight off. (laughs) And you are kind of having to twist it around to try and get it in position. But this one, it kind of clamps to the right place. So it kind of grips it. It grips to the right place. And also, they've got some desk stands. They've even got a car mount. I haven't tested these, I have to say, to see whether the magnet's strong enough. But in theory, you can wirelessly charge and mount your phone in your car with this case. That sounds like a a pretty good idea. I'm not sure with my driving whether I'd be happy just having a magnetically mounted phone. I've had to move my phone in my car because it's so hot here. It was overheating on the windscreen. Oh, right. So I've had to move it to the side so it's actually in the aircon vent. Because I've used this to basically navigate 900 miles across France with TomTom, not Apple Maps, TomTom. And that's another thing about wireless charging. There is a there, there is a bit of heat involved in it as well and the phone gets a little bit hot. Uh, I bought a couple of extra wireless charging mats. Um, there are a couple of different flavours like QI, which they pronounce chi and stuff, but it's becoming more and more of a standard. So I genuinely think wireless charging is going to become more and more of a thing. It's in the, you know, many of the Motorola, Samsung phones. Apparently the Apple Watch, I think they they don't actually call it wireless charging. They have a certain name for it. Sure they do. That uses the same technology, but they've adapted it in some way that means you cannot use a third-party charger. There's a bit of security in there as well, isn't there, I think? I have heard that you can put your wireless toothbrush on the Apple charger and it will charge. I want to test this. <laughs> Next time. If you sit your Sonicare on there, it should charge. Not the other way around. You can't put your watch on the Sonicare charger, but the other way around will work. That's what I've heard. I'll give it a go. But just, just, just to round it off, like I say, I, I, have to, I can't have the Apple smart battery case because I've got a big Apple phone. From my bit of research, this seems to be the best of the bunch. And uh, yeah, it's not smart. But the wireless stuff, I think that's that that's kind of cool. And, you know, I've got two or three of these charging mats around the house. I just put my phone on it. That tops it up. It's marginally less effort just to pop my phone on top of a pad. I now have my phone charging up more often than when I had to bother be bothered to plug it in. That's probably not so good for the battery and for the longevity of the phone and lithium-ion batteries and all that. That's why you want a smart one. Um, maybe, maybe, but um, certainly for the remaining lifespan of this phone, it's going to be absolutely fine. Okay. So going back to things that are broken recently, my Fitbit. What happened oh. to your Fitbit, Will? What happened? Well, I don't know. I don't know. So I have the Flex, which I've had pre-Apple Watch. I like the whole Fitbit ecosystem. So as much as I like what Apple does in terms of daily stand reminders, daily goals, I like the long-term view that Fitbit gives you. And I've got 
the scales they tap in there. I've bought my mum and dad and my father-in-law one. Oh, yeah. And as I think I may have said this before, but it's great to just check that they're still being active because they're getting on a bit. They do watch, so I've got to be careful what I say. And you could be competitive with them if you were that way inclined. You can. I like the whole ecosystem of Fitbit, and I do quite like wearing two bands. I won't lie. So I've had one Fitbit where it should last about a week because it's a tiny little thing. It's only doing steps. I'm just being brought a cup of tea. Amazing. So, sorry, I've got to... Hey, you should also have someone bring you all a cup of tea mid-podcast. It's the best thing. I've got plenty of beer here because I'm in France, so obviously I need beer, my Norley Pratt. The battery's meant to last a week and it went down to two to three days and it's meant to give a battery warning and it stopped doing that. It kept dying before the warning and I got onto Fitbit support and I'd heard that they're kind of, they're high level, they're kind of like Apple level. They really want to make you happy. And we went through a couple of troubleshooting with it and it transpires the battery was just dying on it. And they said, fair enough, we'll send you a new one. Don't have to send the old one back. No problem. That was probably eight to nine months ago. I got it originally in March 2014. So it lasted just over a year. And then in France, this one started doing the same. So I'd wake up. It was just going, powering down before I would expect and then I had to reset it. And it's a, it's a really annoying thing that the only way to reset it is to use the charger. And it's got a little pinhole in that. And it was kind of, I think I pressed too hard on the pinhole and broke the reset. And in the UK, I'd have a second, second charger, but I don't have one with me. So I kind of got on support. We tried some troubleshooting. We couldn't get it back to life. And... They basically said, you first activated in March 2014, so we can't replace the device. It's new, it's company policy. We can give you six months of Fitbit Plus, which I'm just not interested in. I don't use that part of it. But the thing that annoys me is either it's a change of policy at Fitbit or it depends on the person on the support you get. But I've always felt that they were very good at replacing the devices, and keeping you within the system. And my mum's is broke. She's had to send it off. My dad's is broken. My father-in-law also broken. So they don't last. This is is not a good advert for Fitbit, is it? You're just listing off people you know who have got broken Fitbits. That's not a great advert. I know. But that's the thing. I always thought the thing was they knew the devices wouldn't last and they'd just replace them. No questions asked. If it's broken, we'll send you a new one. And either that's changed or the person I, who did the support for me decided to not. Do you want to know what that reminds me of? This is, this is going to show my age. You don't have to watch my vlog to see how old I am. Do you remember the Cyan 3 and the Cyan oh, 3A pocket that, organizers? I, I had a 3C. I had a, I had a 3. I had, I had a 3C. But, but, but they had a, a, a replacement program so that mm. if your hinges broke... Oh yeah, the hinges did always go, didn't they? Then you used to send it in and get it back for free. And what I heard years later is that basically they, they knew that after you'd opened and closed it a thousand times, the hinges were going to break. And this was like a known fault. And, and they just sort of silently admitted to, 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 yeah, we'll just replace it, replace it, replace it. And then, uh, you know, and three years later, it was a, a defunct product anyway. But they were really susceptible to just having their hinges break. I mean, the thing about the Fitbit is it's not, it's not expensive to make. 
And so the really it's about investing in the ecosystem. And there are things like Fitbit Plus. There are various other ways they could monetize this. The device itself is kind of almost like a disposable item as far as they're concerned. And yeah, thing you can do if you have an iPhone is you can use Fitbit for free because it uses the um, accelerometer in here to count your steps. So I managed to get this back to life by wiggling the reset button and leaving it on charge, but it still dies within a few hours. The only thing it's not logging is my sleep. And I've got a spare one back in the UK because I bought Beck's one, and she doesn't use it. She's kind of got bored of the whole, even just charging something weekly. Hey, Will, how how many apps have you got on, on your phone now? On now? App update. Yeah, like since since the last podcast, how many new apps have you added? I think every podcast we should now to have a we should do a little freeze frame and a little okay, jingle really? that goes called Count Will's app. Do 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 do, and you give us an update of how many apps you're up to. So we were three three seven last podcast. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. What are we on now? Okay. Do you think it's gone higher or lower? I think it's because you. It's gone higher. Do you get nothing for repair? It's gone up. It has gone up. It has gone up. What two? How many apps? How have we high? Three three seven. Make a guess. Make a guess, Jeff. You've added two apps, so it's three three nine. Higher, David. Higher, higher than three three nine. Ah, oh. I am going to go with three fifty. Too high. It's lower than that. <laughs> <laughs> three four. It's a six. fun game for all the family. I'm on three four six. But I've added. I've added a good app. Here's here's a good one, Jeff. I'll tell you one. I, I paid £8 for an app. You paid £8 for an app? Paid £8, and it's the best £8 I've ever spent. This should be in the mobile data rant right at the end, but I'll, I'll jump into it. See if you can conv- convince me right now to spend £8. Go. Okay, so on the network sims I've got, they are throttled. So even though it looks like you've got free internet, any service you try and access... You can't because it's so slow. So it's ultimately finding the services they're trying to throttle that they haven't. And I was trying to upload the podcast. And YouTube, the YouTube export is about two and a half gig. That took the best part of 12 hours to upload. And the thing you realise is how clever YouTube upload is. That if the connection goes, it doesn't restart it. It keeps what it's got and it does a good resume. So even if you cancel it, close it, open it up in a different browser, start uploading the exact same file, it will jump to where it got to last time. Yeah, those, those, boys, those boys at Google are pretty smart and they know what they're doing, don't they? I'd get about 100 meg up on one SIM and then that connection would get cut off. So I'd have to jump onto the other SIM. It would reconnect from there. But the podcast itself is just FTP. But that was throttled on my MacBook going through the MiFi and going through the Tesco SIM in the 5S. But for some reason, directly on my iPhone, not throttled. So I paid £8 for Transmit, which is an amazing FTP app on my Mac. This is the iOS version. I could FTP from my Mac to the app on the phone, so I knew that the file was exact and nothing was munging it in any way. And I could then FTP it up to Libsyn, which is our host who hosts our podcast, and it went up in about 40 minutes. And it was taking wow. Wow. 10, 15 hours on estimates on other services. So best £8 I ever spent. 
And then the other good app I got. Yeah. Sorry, uh, this is turning into an app show. It should be Frackless, the app show. No, dude, dude, I'm telling you, each podcast, let's let's let let's have a Will recommends app moment. We should do this. I'll make you I'll make you a jingle. I'll, I'll make you a jingle on GarageBand. All right. How about that? That'd be good. I've been doing a lot a lot of speed tests and a lot of data tests. But there's this one app called Open Signal, and it does this really clever thing, although it doesn't quite work. But what it does in theory is really clever. So it looks around at where the base stations are, and it tells you where the strongest signal is. But it doesn't work when you're roaming, because it says on mine you're on three, and that's not a recognised network in France, because it's using the APN data of your home network. But it does a really good speed test, and it does actually, I think it's more consistent than speed test on that for really giving you a fine tune on what, how good this connection is. So that's my other app recommendation. I was at the 5G show in Olympia a oh, few yeah, weeks were. ago now. What, what, and they, what, what the flip <clears throat> is 5G, David? Hello? What? 5G, it's the next generation of mobile communications and, uh, and, and data. Jeff, you know all the Gs are just made up. Yeah. <laughs> no, they are. They're literally made up. Someone just says, let's just call it 4G. And they go... Well, it's, it's just a generation, and each generation is, I don't know, roughly five years or so. I don't know. It's all... You can get faster other ways. Yeah, there was HSPA, HSDPA, and so on that were faster than first-generation 4G. And 4G, you know, that it took them ages to decide which technology they were going to be using, whether it was LTE or, or whatever. Anyway, anyway 5G. 5G, that's a thing, and it will be happening 2019, 2020 or so. So they've got a big, they've got a trade show every year. Well, I say every year. This was the first year. Each year previously, it had been the 4G show. This year, it was the 5G show, and it five was in years London. Ago, the 3G show. Yeah. What will it be in like yes, 10 years' time? indeed. Anyway, the point is that one of the... I think it was a developer from Israel. What they've done is they've strapped a uh, Samsung Galaxy S something to a DJI drone. And on the, on, the, uh, on the Galaxy, they had an app that did kind of what you're talking about. You know, it looked at the cell site coverage, okay. it got some diagnostics, and... By attaching it to a drone, they could fly the drone around a particular site. I would so kill whether for it's, that. I if know. I could just literally send yeah, something up, find me the fastest signal and report back. I actually spent, I'm not kidding, I spent two hours in a car today trying to upload a 300 meg file, driving around with the app open, looking for the bars going up, my laptop on the seat and looking at whether the upload's bandwidth was increasing. And I really needed a Wii as well. Really? How popular were you with your wife this afternoon, Will, exactly? <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, this is, this is kind of like a working holiday. So I'm doing half days while I'm out here. Working holiday, right. Okay. The idea is that we spend a lot of time out here because we've driven all this way. But I continue to work. So I don't work full days. So instead of taking two weeks off and doing no work, which I just cannot do, it's impossible, it drives me insane, I take a month and I do half of the work I would normally do. So, you know, she's cool with that. And there's a pool here. So, you know, she was in the pool with the kids. Who had the better deal? Driving around, chasing the, chasing the network, or swimming in the pool with the kids? When I was a kid, my mum used to take me driving around looking for hot air balloons. If we saw a hot air balloon floating over our house, mum said, right, jump in the car, and we would chase and try and find the field where it would land. Happy days. Happy days.
Thanks for the memories, Mum. I, I used to do a really weird thing. Back in the day, you, you wouldn't, this won't surprise you at all. I used to have a CB radio when CB radio Of course radio you did, <laughs> That's just a given. Yeah. And what you do, they'd have these, um, they'd call it a fox hunt night. And somebody would be the target and they'd go and park in a road or in a field somewhere. And every 10 minutes, they'd just broadcast from their CB radio. Um, and the rest of you had to drive around and work out from the signal strength, etc. where and you had to kind of triangulate where, where they were. You could measure the signal strength. Was that kind of a feature of the CB, citizen band radio? Well, it depends if you had a really good CB radio. Um, but sometimes it would just be like, if they were coming through weaker, you know you were going in the wrong direction. It was a very basic game, but you could spend like two hours trying to hunt somebody down. And the first person to find them obviously won. It was a fun game we used to play in our cars. Speaking of hunting things down, Jeff, are you still doing Pokemon Go? <laughs> I never started doing Pokemon Go. <laughs> Why not? Why not? That's totally something you should do. Because I'm already geocaching the f*** out of uh, the whole of the world. Right. Will, have you have you succumbed to the global phenomenon that is Pokemon Go? I haven't, but I am so thankful it exists. Why? Because I've spent a good three or four days hunting out Wi-Fi and Signal, and people think I'm just playing mm-hmm. Pokemon Go. They don't think <laughs> I'm being weird. <laughs> I'm walking around with my phone in front of my face. <laughs> And interacting with it, and they just think I'm playing Pokemon Go, so thank God it exists. When we were in Greece, in uh, well, in a Greek island, Kos, um, we didn't have a map, we didn't have a local tour, you know, tour book or anything like that. I could have downloaded an app, I could have used Swarm or something, but I didn't. I used Pokemon Go, and we were in the <laughs> capital of Kos, Kos Town. And I'm like, okay, okay. Here's the thing. There's not many poker stops near to where our resort is. I need to get some balls so I can catch some more monsters. I'm doing all this ironically, of course, but I am secretly quite enjoying it. So it just so happened that looking for poker stops was the best way of finding the coolest places in the town. It's the same. Well, it's the same. It's the same with geocaching. If we go to a new area, people generally only put caches in interesting or historic or scenic locations. So find a cache and you find a, a cool spot that's that's what i love about it tour guides are out of business thanks to pokemon go other gps location games are available this episode of fraculous is brought to you by little bits now if you're like me you love building things and that goes all the way back to when i was a kid and i used to get building blocks and those little electronics kits and try and build little radio stations and stuff what little bits does is that it brings that same sense of invention and creativity and science but makes it all a bit more 2016 with little bits you've got these little electronic building blocks and you can build things like a remote control car to a smart home device and what makes this really good for kids is the bits just snap together with magnets so there's no soldering no wiring you don't even have to do any programming if you don't want to the bits are really easy to use each bit has a different function whether it's lights or motors or sound and they're also color-coded too blue is power pink is input green is output and there are loads of different bits temperature sensors buttons pressure sensors there's even a bit that connects to the internet you can hook it into your arduino if you're really advanced with your creativity now little bits is sold in kits the gadgets and gizmos kit for example you can build up to 12 inventions with one of these and it works very well for kids from the ages of eight and upwards i would say and you can even build a remote control car in there and a spinning nightlight if you want to get hold of your very own little bits then visit fraculous.com little bits so they know that we sent you 
A massive thanks to Little Bits for supporting this show. What else is on the list, Will? I feel like we haven't done enough content. Do you have any strong thoughts on Virgin Media? <laughs> uh, you either love them or hate them, don't you? Uh, yeah. So my friend, John Ball, who is the editor of London Reconnections magazine. I can't believe you, you said he's Walthamstone. Why have you not introduced us? Well, that's why I CC'd you in. I was first aware of the Virgin Media broadband issues in uh, the post there, Which one? There are always it. issues of Virgin Media broadband. Well, well, exactly, exactly. And then, and then literally about a year ago, I bumped into him and I didn't realise, and he, I, I, we were out one night, he's like, yeah, I'm getting the train home to Walthamstow. And I was like, oh, my friend Will's from Walthamstow. And he said something like, oh, does he have, does he have Virgin Broadband issues as well? And I went, yes, yes, he does. Yes, yes, yes he does. And I, it's just a standard thing in Walthamstow. It's a standard thing. And whenever I've seen a poster, you know, in a high street saying, uh, with Doxic 3 technology, Virgin Media provides... I've, I've taken it and I've sent it to John as a bit of a gag saying, hey, how's your broadband doing? And it all came to a head last weekend. And what you need to do is follow him. So he's at Garius, G-A-R-I-U-S on Twitter. Jeff, do you ever, do you ever storify things? Do you know how to storify things? Mm. I, well, I, well, he then storified it. Oh, there's a storify. Okay, I was going to say, if not, could you storify it? But if there's one, excellent. Show notes, done. He's paying for like 100 meg down. I was going to read it, Jeff, but obviously on my mobile data, I couldn't, I couldn't load it all. It was just taking too long. But at most, he says the most he's ever got, and he's kept screenshots, like every week he took a screenshot or something. At most, he got two meg down on his 100 meg that he's paying for 100 meg service. I can understand this. So when I first got Virgin, I, I'd signed up. I'd paid actual money, quite a lot of it, to watch this video production course. And it was all on Vimeo. And I couldn't even load the videos they literally would not load so i couldn't even watch this course that i'd paid for because virgin media was so damn slow it's changed mm. now it's okay now i was told it was overloaded i gather that the walthamstow area is oversubscribed anyway so john it all came to head on saturday and he, did, he decided to ring and cancel and you need to read read the story for basically various hilarious things happened like they claimed to have sent him a letter saying that he was on a new contract and he uh, sent them back a screenshot saying no letter was ever sent to him. He kept all the letters. And basically, it's him. And it took him, took him about four hours on the phone on Saturday to say, I just want to cancel. And they refused to cancel. And they kept bouncing him around and they passed him around. And it was like a manager wasn't available, but then he was available, but he wouldn't come on the phone. It's infuriating customer service. And then they kept trying to say, somebody will call you back. And then they wouldn't say, and he was like, right, when? Give me a time and date when someone will call back. And they wouldn't give him a specific time and date. Actually, though, I remember, if you get the people in Scotland, they will sort you out. You get into the people who, <laughs> who have Scottish accents, you know you're on for a good... Do not hang up on those people. They will sort out your problems. But the, but the best bit is that they were like, well, look, we've done what we can, sir. We, we're going to terminate the call. And he was saying, do not terminate the call. I'm not happy. If you terminate the call, I will call you back all day until this is resolved. And after one hour, 20 minutes on the phone, they cut him off. Yeah. <laughs> and so he just, so he, went, he waited five minutes, went to the toilet and then rang him back. But of course, he, but the thing is, he's live tweeting it. So every two minutes throughout Saturday, there's, there's yeah. another update. And it was just beautiful But with every tweet, he's at mentioning Virgin Media. <laughs> Media and it takes them yeah, a few I'll... hours to cotton on to this, doesn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's so good. It's so good. You have to go and read the story, Fi. And he finally gets there. But you have to read the little twist at the end to, to see what happens. But the thing is, I'm on Virgin Media um, and I've had a, you know, it's either, I think it's either it works or it doesn't, you know, and I've, I've had one issue with them. When I first got it, it was bad and I cancelled it. I then had BT Infinity 
that was brilliant yeah. until we had some storms and the something happened to either the line or something further out the house and they said it's going to be a lot of money to change that so i went back to virgin and actually it's been fine now i've kept on bumping up onto the top tier and it's pretty good now i do still have a backup connection though but how much do you pay for and what do you actually get i pay for 100 meg and i get like 110 or something silly i pay for 150 meg and i generally if i don't have to run a speed test i'm usually fine i'm hitting that fine if i'm running a speed test i think there's something wrong so i'm kind of going hmm What's happening here? I've heard of a lot of complaints with Virgin Media and particularly the oversubscription issue as well. And people have, yeah, you know, particularly... Um, they oversell it. That's the problem. It's a bit like planes. In new build areas as well, where Virgin Media have just started provisioning, it's as though their salespeople are much better than the infrastructure is. Well, originally you couldn't get it on our side of the street. <laughs> when we first moved to Walthamstow, they weren't laying any new cables. So we couldn't get it. And then they finally allowed new people in but then they still obviously hadn't expanded the network we got so annoyed with talk talk and then with sky who were our our isps they're all bad it's a bit like you know how we said like everyone on has problems with their mobile network everyone has problems with their broadband as well we've had no problems touch wood with virgin media since we've been here and the reason i think that we went with them is because they were the only service provider who didn't want to sell us a phone line we didn't know we did not have to pay line rental for a telephone that we never ever use never ever answer because it's always a spam call so why on earth should we pay for it virgin media gave us that we paid less than 30 pounds a month for 100 megabit broadband perfect it's gone up slightly since then but still we don't have to have a phone line in our house that we don't want nobody wants or uses a phone line in their houses anymore unless you're working from home although i found out our alarm is plugged into it and for a while we hadn't had that line activated so if anyone had robbed us the call wouldn't have gone through the alarm center but it will now so don't rob me now Guys, I know right in thinking that Virgin Media are just actually, you know, what was like a hundred different separate telecom companies. I remember when it was NTL, and I remember Telewest, and before that it was United Artists. Do you remember that? That's going back years. And there were hundreds, and they've all slowly amalgamated. So They've all got slightly different networks. And someone's linked them all together. It's not like somebody installed it one big thing from scratch. It's small little networks that have all been joined up over the years. Although doesn't Kingston Cable still exist as a separate company? Isn't Kingston the one that's still independent? Kingston Communications, KCOM, does still exist. Yes, they've got their own infrastructure. Such a bad idea. Why did they franchise it out? I can't remember the history of that, but I remember when NTL and Virgin merged. No, it was Telewest. It was... No, no, it was, it was NTL and Telewest merged, and then... Or did Virgin buy them and merge them both? I can't remember how it worked exactly. But it was NTL and Telewest. NTL had such a bad reputation for customer services. So when all the merger stuff happened, Virgin had a much stronger brand. People wanted to buy into the Virgin, the whole Richard Branson dream. So even though it wasn't the Virgin infrastructure that was being used, it was the Virgin name that was the important thing. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. But it's not it's not Branson anymore. Hello? You've all gone quiet. We done? I'm done here. On that one? Are you here? Okay. Or are you back? Let's... Yay. David, you've got a PC. Is there much to say on that? Um, I'd have to get a PC. It's it's just a PC. It's it, it's a nice PC, but um... would you rather cover the glyph? D- the g- um. Well, you're not even excited about the glyph. I, I'm I'm excited about it, but there's not a great deal. You know, it's a it's a smartphone Do you have a glyph? tripod mount. No, I I don't have a glyph. I have so 
I have uh, a number of different ways of mounting my phone onto uh, onto a tripod. Um, the best one that I've used so far is the ShoulderPod S1. I've talked about that, but it's lacking a couple of things. You have. You've recommended that to me. I have. I have. I've not bought one yet. It's lacking a couple of things like screw thread mounts for microphones or lights. The Glyph, which has just come through a Kickstarter round. That's from Studio Neat, isn't it? That does. It's got one on the side and one on the top and a nice wooden handle. They did the original Glyph and this is their... Is it the new Glyph or the Glyph 2? It's the updated Glyph. I think it's just the new Glyph is, is what they've called it. It doesn't seem to have a version number, but the other really good thing about it uh, again in comparison to the shoulder pod s1 where you you have to screw your phone in because it works with a number of different phones this one's just got a neat little it's a little quick release it looks very manfrotto-y little lever that spring mounts your phone in it looks like boom boom and you're in i like that yeah yeah i only know about the glyph the original glyph because of a podcast it's part of the relay fm network and it's mike hurley talking to the two guys at studio neat when they were okay. launching a, it was like a cat entertainment toy. It was called the OB. And they did a Kickstarter right. and they were going to follow through the story of the Kickstarter and then the Kickstarter failed. So then the podcast oh. evolved. <laughs> and it became really interesting because it was actually, it wasn't the story they wanted to tell, but then it became very interesting. And how they then had mm. a Apple TV remote stand. They made a little remote stand for the Apple TV. That actually yep. did better than they thought. And so it's all really interesting. But that was my first exposure to Mike. Mike Hurley, yeah. Mike Hurley. So I was then... Hello Internet came about through an Overcast recommendation. I stumbled upon that. Then I saw CGP Grace videos. And then I watched yep. his 3 million subscriber video where he mentions Cortex. And I then listened to that and was like, what is this British voice I recognise? And I now realised it was Mike from the Studio Neat podcast. It's called Thoroughly Considered. It's really good. Uh, that's another one. Skip back. Start listening to that one. It's a good one. Yeah, I'm still working my way through Cortex. I'm into 2016 on Cortex at the moment. We should have like an update. Every episode, I'll say how many apps I've done and you can say what episode of Cortex you're on. Okay. And whoa, whoa, whoa. What about me? What about me? What do I do? What do I do? What's my count? How many geocaches have you done this week? Number of Twitter followers, Jeff. Number of Twitter followers. Past, past 6,000 this week. 6, I 000. saw. What was, the, what was the bet you and David had? 6,000. Oh, my God. Oh, no. No. No, that totally... Sorry, can I do a, a tangent? Can I do a Twitter thing? Sorry. Can I? Yep, do it. I applied. I applied for a blue tick and I got rejected. <laughs> oh, no. How do you apply for a blue tick then, Jeff? Tell me. Oh, that is a major burn. Major, major burn. One of my one of my friends saw the page that you could apply to get blue tick verification. Uh, and I and at first I thought this is a pretentious thing to do. And I kind of struggled mentally. I was like, do I do it? But it's your fault for calling me a video journalist, which is apparently what I am now. And uh, you have to provide two links that substantiate who you are. You a, w- a really weird thing is that you have to have your birthday on your profile. And you need a bio, don't you? You need a proper bio, and then you provide a few characters explaining. You have to write, yeah, 500 characters, sentences to say why you think you deserve a blue tick, and they go away. Could you send me your why I deserve to be, and I'll put it in the show notes? <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'll, and they say, right, we'll get back to you within seven working days. Did they come straight back? No, no, it took about four or five days. 
But but it's like uh, it's, it's the same experience when you, when you submit an app to the App Store on Apple and they reject it. They reject it, but they don't offer. They don't tell you why they rejected it. So Twitter came back and they went, "We're rejecting you, but we're not telling you why." <laughs> but you can apply again in thirty days. But I then spoke to somebody else, and we think we know, and we and we think we know why. One, my picture on my Twitter profile. I'm going to lean into the camera here. My Twitter on my uh, Twitter profile sort of looks like, it's like me doing this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you can't really see my face. But how long ago did you take that photo, just out of interest, Jeff? Uh, 2008. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've now got well, my new five-yearly Twitter picture. I change it about every five years. But the other thing is that my Twitter profile is at Jeff Tech, and then my display name is also Jeff Tech. And what we've concluded is that either, one, I need to have a proper picture of my face so you can see my face, and two, I need... I need to make it to say Jeff Marshall as my display name and then Jeff Tech is obviously still my Twitter name. And I think if I did those two things, then it would be valid again. But should, should I apply for a blue tick? Is that just a really vain thing? What's wrong with vanity? What's wrong with vanity? Go for it. Okay. I think, the thing is, right, I gonna... think it was good to have before anyone could apply for it, if that makes sense. If you were picked dun, 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 from above to be blue ticked, then it had value. Now, if anyone can apply, as soon as everyone realises anyone can apply, zilch yeah. value. They'll change the colour of the tick. It'll become a black tick or a red tick for, like, the super very fine people. But then I thought, what's to stop you just using Photoshop and actually have getting your avatar and just drawing in your own blue tick? You'll get kicked off Twitter if you do that. <laughs> Seriously, you will. Look at the, look at the pages. <laughs> they reserve the right to re- basically ban you for life if you do that. Well, the way Twitter's going... The way Twitter's going, they can't afford to ban people. They need the users, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah it's pretty flat at Twitter HQ at the moment, isn't it? Not a lot happening for them. We've got a lot of engagement, Come on, though. Jack, That's sort our it out. main engagement platform, apart from iTunes. If people start engaging on iTunes. Do we want to do um, iPlayer TV license? No, I want to do my Catherine Parkinson anecdote. Damn it. Every time. David, you were actually on the radio, weren't you? What, you did you get on Five Live or something about it? Yes, I was on Five Live a few weeks ago, just when the uh, the, the story about um, uh, TV detective vans being able to detect when we're watching iPlayer on a mobile device or on you know on an electronic device because the the rules have changed. Yeah, I know the rules have changed. I'm not fully convinced that they can detect you. I'm just putting that out there. I don't think they can. Yeah, not a lot of people are. <laughs> that That's the thing. I support the licence fee. I agree with the licence fee. I think if you watch BBC services, you should pay it. But I don't think they can actually tell if you are or not, especially online. There's never been, as far as I can tell from you know looking around and, and speaking with people, there's never been any... Um, at least concrete explanations as to how a an old fashioned TV license detector van would work, and you know there were there were things about they could check to see whether and you know uh, certain things were oscillating at particular frequencies and stuff. But it all seems a little bit smoke and mirrors. I think ultimately they just come and ask you, and it depends whether you say yes or not, which you should do if you are using it. Well, yeah, and, and I think the fact that the vans existed was the main kind of deterrent, really. It's a deterrent. It is a deterrent. Exactly. But with the rule change, that means that even if if you're watching... If you're streaming live, you needed a licence. If you're only watching replay, you didn't need a licence. So the, the rules have changed that now mean that to watch replay on iPlayer, you now need a licence. And they have been able to prove 
um, to people that they are able to detect. Again, with a van outside your door, or, or even a few streets away, apparently, they say that Nonsense. they can tell if you're watching iPlayer, um, iPlayer stuff. Now, they've got some repo, which is the Regulation of Investigatory Powers Act, uh, say so, that lets them do this. Um, but the thing is, they're not going to go around decrypting people's, you know, private wireless what? networks. It's just not worth it. What if you just... What if you just had like a VPN and you were tunneling data through your or, company firewall? Or you or just something? use Ethernet. You, you know, what if you just use Ethernet? There's so many ways around it. <laughs> Com- completely. Ridiculous. What they could do is they could see who they're serving. They could look at the IP addresses. They can match the IP addresses up to houses and see if the house has a license. And if it doesn't, they, no, they could then go that. and knock on the door. They can't do that. So what really? they do not have is any coordination with internet service providers. So they can't tie up no, it will, it will IP go on addresses to individual houses. Okay, so they'd need the... Uh, yeah, got you. But could they cleverly say if you have a BBC account, notice your IP address when you access a BBC service and link it up that way? Or even go to somewhere like, say, Facebook and say, we'll buy you some cash. Can you go to some IP addresses of logged in people? Is that legal? Is that allowed? Could they do that? I don't know. That's right, I'd do it. But for these reasons, a lot of people are very, very suspicious about whether people really can tell whether... It's a paperwork exercise rather than a technological one. That's all it is. It's sifting through lots of data. Guys, how, how far away are we? Will we, in our lifetime, in our lifetimes, and we're in our 30s and 40s, see a system whereby the licence fee is scrapped. Should we explain the licence fee for international viewers who may not have a licence fee? Yeah, well, put a link. We'll put, put one of your 10,000 links in, down below in the description on the video. The BBC is a public service broadcaster. There are no adverts on the BBC. If you go to bbc.com, if you're you know watching in the United States or whatever, then there are adverts on there. But to people who are consuming BBC content in the UK, there are no adverts. That's radio stations. However many radio stations there are, both national stations but also local stations, television stations for children, Asian Network, um, BBC One, BBC Two, so on. And of course the website as well all of that stuff needs to be paid for and at the moment it is a license that pretty much every house in the uk pretty much um pays and it costs about 13 pound a month 13 pound a month is that right so what is it 140 something ish pounds a year yeah how far away are we from the licensee being scrapped and it's just a it's a subscription service that you pay for like you do with say spotify I hope they don't. That day is surely coming. No, I can't see it. I think because the problem then is you then start pandering to audiences. And that's what the BBC shouldn't be doing. And that's what the unique thing that it does is it creates stuff which you will never watch. But some undercated for, unadvertisable to audience really needs. So as long as you get like a little strip of BBC, you're good. But it needs that economy. It needs the whole of everyone to pay in and get some benefit. And we all need to work together on this, Jeff. We need to really work together. But, Will, I was at the, the launch for the YouTube London Space Studios last week. There was a red carpet you outside. Have, you should have been periscoped that. I know, I know. And they had, like, people screaming, right? Because there's a generation of people that do not watch TV. They but do not watch you TV. You say that, but they do. They will, clips, they right? will know. So they, 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 they may know, rather watch it, but they may listen to the radio. Radio 1. Radio 1's online YouTube. I'm going to keep going. 
There are kids that will grow up not watching TV, and so TV figures will diminish, and online, YouTube, and other video sources will increase. And so something, at some point, there'll be a, a point where it snaps and it has to change. But Radio 1 is going big on YouTube. It's got a massive YouTube presence. It's like, it's, and it is, it's evolving to cater for that audience. So even if it's on YouTube, they can still do it on YouTube. And Radio 1 still has that, like, even on the radio, even if it's streamed into your iPlayer app on your phone, it's still radio. And that's paid for by the license fee. You could not run Radio 1 without a license fee. In the same way, I don't listen to Radio 4, but I don't begrudge the people that like it. I still haven't done my Catherine Parkinson anecdote. I've got two minutes left on my card. Two minutes. Have I told you about mobile data yet, Jeff? Oh, mobile f- <laughs> Okay, Jeff, give us your Catherine Parkinson anecdote. Are you actually going to let me do it? Yep, you've got two minutes on your card. Go. I was at a jive dance the other night in honour of... End of Fraculous. If your puny human minds can handle more, then follow on Twitter. At sign F R A C K U L O U S or individually. At sign David McClelland. D A V I D M C C L E L L A N D. At sign Jeff Tech. G E O F F T E C H at sign Will Head W I L L H E A D. Email your brains to hello at sign fraculous.com. You are feeling sleepy, you are asleep. When you wake up, you will leave a five star review for Fraculous on iTunes. You are back in the room. Oh, Jeff, you don't make it easy for me. I'm not making it easy for you. <laughs> if, if the edit is all choppy at this point, it's my fault for chewing. If Jeff doesn't say anything for the next half hour, it's because he was eating. Actually, I could take out your entire BBC rant bit. Go, yeah, Jeff was eating that bit. Come on, that's, that's one of the best things we've ever done. Put that we, all got, we, all, we all got passionate with a point of view. Do you know what I'm passionate about, Jeff? What's that? I'm passionate about mobile data. And what a f***ing mess it is. <laughs> really, Will? Have you got a story to tell about that? Oh, my God. So we're staying in a house, and we're very grateful that we get to use this house at basically mates' rates for the whole of August. That is brilliant. It's got a pool. It's lovely weather out here. It's a bit too hot some days, but it's lovely weather. There is wine, there is beer, there is cheese, and there is bread. What more do you need? You need the internet. That's what you need. You need broadband. No wifi. Wiffy, wiffy. There's no broadband in this house. There's no phone line. The, f- <laughs> the French call it wiffy. They do, the wiffy. So we were here last year and I jumped on Fon, which is like a shared network. You kind of share a bit of your broadband with other people. You can dip into that broadband. It's like a quid pro quo thing. There were three Fon spots around. and Generally with the wind, one of them would blow into the house. And there's only one this year, so I can't use that. I've got I've got my three SIM, so I've got my three SIM in my phone, and I've got a three data SIM. But the three network last year was good. It was I I didn't even remember experiencing throttling on it, and then Jonathan Morris has been covering it a lot, has mentioned it, and this year it's terrible. So I cannot do anything on Spotify, and I I sync like a 
a good gig of Spotify data last year. And this year, it won't even connect Spotify. It's so throttled down. Podcasts are literally... This is, here's a tip. If you want to run a supermarket, get Wi-Fi installed. Because I literally go to Carrefour to download podcasts and do my app updates. Here's the one problem with having 346 apps installed on your phone. Is they all want to update. <laughs> and normally that's fine. If you've got Wi-Fi at home, send them updating. Takes gigs. Gigs of updates. I thought I would get on your McDonald's tip, Jeff. Yeah. Headed on down to McDonald's, got settled in, got myself, you know. Yeah. They don't do they don't do milkshakes out here. What they do do is they have touchscreen displays, so you can order without having to speak French. That's good. Not doing milkshakes, that's not so great. But they again are throttling all the ports I needed. I couldn't even load YouTube. I had to go through a VPN just to load YouTube, and even oh, then... hang on, that's right. You know, yeah, you 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 checked in on Swarm to McDonald's, didn't you? And as a vegetarian, I gave you a hard time. That's right, I remember. <laughs> yeah, they don't do veggie food here. Is that it? They do veggie food sometimes in McDonald's. <laughs> Burger King does better veggie food, but they don't have free Wi-Fi. Moving okay, on. so running back. Sorry, <laughs> I no, noticed you're getting it. really good views. On your vlogs. Are you jealous? I am jealous. I'm very jealous. It's good. I've only watched the first one because, again, I'm in France. <laughs> I've only got mobile data, but YouTube does not stream on most of the sims I've got. It's throttled. Well, bizarrely, Facebook, Facebook video isn't throttled. That's a weird one. Just on my iPhone 3 sim, I can load Twitter fine. Boom, comes in. The pictures, even just the pictures take forever to come in they're throttled and yet i'll open up facebook and i'll scroll down and it's full of video now and that stuff comes in fine i can't sync spotify on here i cannot even i cannot sync a podcast that's all throttled but facebook videos come in fine so either they've done a deal or the agreements they've got haven't noticed all the traffic coming from facebook video but I didn't think that was allowed. It comes down to net neutrality. This is about net neutrality and, you know, certain types of content. So, yeah, so it's been, it's been a struggle. And it just makes you realise how much just having unmeted internet or, or internet that's fast you don't have to worry about. Like, I've had to change the entire way I work. I've had to go back to like pre-broadband Dropbox days. So I can't, I normally sync everything through Dropbox so it's backed up. I've had to start using Thunderbolt networking between my two Macs to sync the files that way through local wow. drives. It's just, oh, it's so tedious. So normally all of the fraculous work files would be on Dropbox and the exports and the gigabytes of stuff before I start crunching it down to put on YouTube and the podcast... That's all, I mean, it exists in three different data pl points. And my off-site backup is my car. So it's locked in the glove box, but it gets very hot. So who knows if that's a valid backup or not. That's it, basically. I've used a lot of data very slowly. And I just wish, I just wish it was like electricity. It's like going to a country and then throttling your electricity. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I hear German is better. Go to Germany next year. Don't go to France. It depends where you're staying. This is the problem. It's like, it's so... Like, in some places, it's really fast. But ultimately, I think the problem is, ultimately, wherever you go for free internet, they're already on to the fact that you want to upload multi-gigabyte files, and they've got that locked down. I feel like this is definitely a single-person rant. <laughs>
No, it's good. It's good. It's good, Will. It's good to let off. It's good to... We enjoy listening to you. Boys, it's been emotional. It has. And it's been long distance as well. Do I sound further let, away? Let's... Let you, you, your audio is a bit flaky. <laughs> because of my mobile data issues.